Hello, and welcome to the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan, and I am an alcoholic. Uh, Today's another solo episode of the Fun and Sobriety Podcast. Um, I, uh, yeah, I've kind of, well, pulled back on inviting people on to have conversations, um, not consciously uh i kind of ran out of my pre-recorded episodes and uh uh kind of ran into the holiday season and got out of the habit of chasing down people that i wanted to speak with and have conversations with combined with a couple of episodes that we uh that i did record and then we decided after the fact to to not release for you know whatever personal reasons uh, and you know, in my case, and some of them just, I just didn't feel like it was a sufficient conversation and whatever. Um, it's just complicated to try and coordinate schedules with other people. And it's easier nominally for me to just share my own thoughts. And, um, also I, I feel weird, um, putting people on the spot. Uh, you know, most of the people that I talk to are people I know and, that doesn't necessarily mean they're interested in having their lives recorded for all eternity, for the rest of the uh, existence of the universe out there in the inter- internet. So all of that is a long way to say that I'm going to be doing a lot more just solo episodes. And um, probably what will happen is as soon as I release this admission, then I will have like a bunch of people come to me and say, hey, I'd like to talk. Um, actually, that'd be great. Um Regardless, uh, today's is a, another solo episode, and, and um, it's actually a second recording I'm doing today. Uh, the recording I did earlier, uh, for once, isn't one I'm re-recording. I think it's just fine, air quotes around just fine. Uh, if anything, it's just a little too esoteric. And although I do uh, like the idea of what I was trying to do in the podcast I recorded earlier, I... I always want these to have a more line, a direct line of sight to um, being useful in the in the now, being something that, especially someone in early recovery, someone struggling with their own recovery, trying to get sober, any any number of words that I want to put in there um, to represent, you know, people in early sobriety, people struggling with their addictions. I, I want to have at least the possibility of it being a useful bit of information for someone who's, you know, struggling in the now. And uh, as much as I enjoyed that podcast that I recorded on free will, uh, I don't know that it's as um, immediately useful to the early recovery person. So I, I just for my own balancing act within my soul, <laughs> uh, I don't I don't believe in souls, you guys, but within myself, so I feel balanced for the day and on measure for the day, I wanted to record another episode um, that will probably be brief, um, but a little bit more directly useful for people looking for experience, strength and hope in the in the moment. Um, and I, I want to talk about fear. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to talk about fear because uh, for me, I, I look back on my life, uh, not just my my period of my life where I was actively drinking and actively, you know, destroying myself. And I try not to get too romantic about destri- describing my 
early days of being a drunk as destroying myself, but I think you understand what I mean. Um, but not, you know, it wasn't just that period of my life where I was actively drinking and actively acting a fool, uh, that I was being driven by fear. I, I, I when I take a, a, you know, a rational look back at my life, I, I can see where and how my life has been run by fear and insecurity. And, and to be honest, it still is run by fear and insecurity, right? I, um, I want to, I want to make the blanket statement that that's part of why I drank, right? I, I drank to, to remove the fear. Um, and that, that feels a little insincere. I mean, I, I, I drank cause I fucking loved being drunk, but insofar as, I addressed or was even vaguely conscious of being in fear of being insecure. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I had, you know, teenage levels of feeling insecure, bashful, whatever. It's easier to talk to people, easier to be free and loose in a, in a public social environment after you've had a few drinks and you, yeah, I mean that obviously uh, I, you know, I used alcohol, in that way. I mean, I think that's what everyone uses for people who are drunks and people who are just people who are using the the chemical to help, you know, loosen them up, right? Like everybody does that to some extent at some point in their lives, if they have any experience with it. Um, and that's not, that's not sufficient. It's not sufficient for me to say I drank because I was, you know, to, to hide my fear. I think it was more nuanced than that. I, uh, <sighs> especially towards the end of my drinking, especially as the real world, my, my real life was starting to be completely undermined and destroyed by my drinking. I was, I was engaging in it because I didn't want to acknowledge my fear. I didn't want to acknowledge the poor decisions I had made prior to those days that I had made earlier in my life. I didn't want to acknowledge that those choices, the choices that led me to the point in my life when things were falling apart, those were based in fear, right? Like, from early in, from early in, I was afraid that I would be a fucking loser, right? Like, that's that's the way I looked at it. That's the way I, I saw it in my head. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of looking, I was afraid of looking like a failure, right? Like, and I I guess it's weird that I just said looking like, I mean, that, that implies a measure of self-dignity, self-respect, self-awareness. I'm not sure what, that I'm not sure was there, right? Because by saying I was afraid of looking like a failure would imply that I would still know that, you know, who I am as a man and as a human, was not contingent on material things and accomplishments, but early in my life, you know, in my teens and early twenties, I don't know that I, I truly believed that. I mean, I believed it in an intellectual way that, yeah, the, the measure of a human is not on the, you know, the, the value of their toys and, and the things that they've accomplished and, and accumulated over the years, you know, amassing wealth, but more on the, you know, the, the integrity of the person and, and the things they do to help others, right? Like I, I've always understood that. I've always embraced that, especially in an intellectual way. 
But I grew up in America. I grew up middle class, comfortable. And there's just an implied, uh, I don't even know if implied is accurate. There's just an expectation that you're going to proceed forward in a way that is successful. At least that's how I felt. And I was terrified I wouldn't live up to those expectations, even if they weren't really consciously being placed on me, even if they were just expectations I felt that I had just from inside myself and my own interpretation of the world around me and and the interpretation of my family's expectations of me and and whatever, it, it was still real enough that it filled me with fear and insecurity that I wouldn't live up to it. And, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> it's funny cause I feel that was always weighing on me from when I, you know, I guess right when they first start, you know, they, they tell you in ninth grade is when like these records will count towards your permanent record. These grades will count towards your permanent record. And there's like, for me, there was some sense of like, okay, from here forward, everything is significant. You know, how I perform in school, how I do in after school activities, what, whatever, you know, jobs I have, all of this from here forward points towards something in the end. And I have to be conscious of it and I have to be aware of it. And I was also just an immature punk. And so I also wanted to fuck off. So I had this like, like, I don't know, even back then it was the beginning of this dual person inside of me like the the person who was fucking off and not taking things seriously would get high every day and would drink every day and you know I mean I would I would get loaded at school I would get high I would get drunk but I would also strive to get good grades because in the back of my head I had this fear of being a failure this fear of being a loser I you know I had a heavy fear of being a fucking drunken idiot who didn't amount to anything with his life, right? Like that is a curious thing to admit because I was also drinking all of the time and smoking pot every day. And like, I don't spend a lot of time reflecting back on it. So I don't, I don't, I don't think I was drinking at school in high school every day, but towards the end of my senior year, I was certainly getting drunk at school Enough that I have memories of it. Enough that I was acting a fool in a way that the next year they cracked down on that kind of shit harder than they did with me. And I should clarify there. Um, (laughs) I was the senior class president of my high school graduation year, right? My senior year I was class president and I was real messed up and I would smoke all the time and I would drink all the time and especially that last few weeks, maybe a couple months of the the last semester, right? Like nothing fucking mattered at that point scholastically. So I just acted a fool, you know, and it didn't help that I had also undergone a physical transformation. I, I had dropped all of the fat boy weight that I'd carried around on me since I was in my teens, right? All of a sudden, my last few months of my senior year, I, you know, my grades were fine. I was not worried about going to college, which isn't to say that I'd gotten into a good college. I just didn't really give a fuck about it. So I was going to go to the community college, sorry, the local university of his, of his, <laughs> of distinction. So I didn't give a fuck. My grades were good anyway. And 
I was suddenly an attractive person, right? Like my cheekbones came out and I had a symmetrical face and, uh, you know, no longer had a big gut hanging out and, you know, I was handsome all of a sudden and, and f- footloose and fancy free. And so So, yeah, it would be easy to look at me in that time frame and assume that everything was like uh coming up everything was coming up millhouse, right? Like I I was I you know, it was probably the loosest and free I've ever felt in my life for those couple of months towards the end of my senior year of high school, which I don't know. I feel like a lot of people probably experience something like that in youth where it's you know, it's the last little gasp of time where, you know, you can kind of get away with fucking off. And, um, and, and I, don't, I don't mean to go down this little rabbit hole here other than to say that even in the middle of all that, when things just seemed upbeat and everything was, was hunky-dory and I was, you know, nothing, you know, bulletproof, that bulletproof period of teenagehood, I was still, there was still, you know, in the back of my brain back of my mind the whole time this fear of being a failure and um, I suppose some of that manifest in me not striving towards uh, greater things right like I didn't really try to get into you know out-of-state fancy colleges or or any kind of college um, because it was lazy and I just didn't feel like it like filling out all the information and, and, you know, seeking out, you know, it took a little bit of work and especially pre-internet days, boy, it took a lot of work just to fill out stuff by hand and mail it, you know, research it, forget it. I'm just going to go to the local college. Plus on top of that, I'll probably excel by lowering my expectations, right? You know, there's one way in which that fear manifests, right? Like as, I could always rise to the top of wherever I put myself, especially if I put myself in an environment where the average that I have to achieve beyond is pretty low. And so that's kind of what I did. And and even still, I found myself dropping out of college not not long after, you know, about a year in, because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing there. And... You know, if I'm honest, the things that I was truly interested in doing, the artistic pursuits that that really draw my attention, drew my attention, then especially, I was terrified of them. I was terrified of actually trying. I was terrified of trying. I was terrified of failure. I was, like I said, I was terrified of turning out to be a fucking loser, right? Like the world is full of actors who didn't make it. The world is full of uh, people who want to, who want to write screenplays and people who, and maybe the world's not quite as full of people who want to write screenplays or direct, but there's plenty of those people. And, and I suppose I should, I should also point out that I had an influence in that in the form of my mother who through my junior high and high school career, I had watched from afar. We had a very estranged relationship. I'd see her a couple times a year. Um, and she lived in, in Hollywood. And I got to witness firsthand someone who 
didn't make it. Someone who went to go follow their dreams and was living off of peanuts in a shitty little apartment in West Hollywood. I mean, it wasn't shitty, but it was, you know, just a little apartment. She didn't have any money. We couldn't do anything. She would bring me down to visit her because that was, you know, what you do as a divorced parent. And as much as I wanted to have the childish, you know, rose-colored glasses, I could still just see, man, this is what failure looks like. This is what not making it looks like. And it kind of got bred into me, not kind of, it did get bred into me that this This is what happens when you try. And fuck, I hate admitting that. I hate admitting that that was what always stuck in my head. Anytime I thought about pursuing a a creative pursuit, create a career path that was relying on my creative abilities, I just saw... I saw my mom and me sitting in a shitty one-bedroom apartment with a stack of coins in the middle of the floor next to a stack of bills. And my mom incredulously cry-laughing that that stack of coins was all she had to pay that stack of bills. And I didn't want that. Right? And that fear has just sat in me, this fear of failure, this fear of being a middle-aged person, someone in their... Th- <laughs> That's funny, because now I'm, I'm pushing 50, so I chuckle at my earlier life, my earlier person thinking that, you know, pushing 37 is pushing middle-aged. Just, just settle down there, Junior. But I was worried. I was worried that I'd hit 37. Like that, that number actually stuck in my mind and maybe that's how old my mom was. I don't know. I I don't like thinking about the math there, but I was always afraid that I'd hit 37 and be broke and in debt and have nothing to show for it. And, you know, that was what fueled my fear-based decision to pursue this is going to sound stupid, to pursue pursue physics, right? To pursue a, a science-based uh, education because I was good at it, right? Like I started taking some math and science courses, uh, physics courses, you know, after I returned to college. Um, no, even before I dropped out, like I'd taken a few and I did okay. And then when I returned, I returned with this idea that I was going to start studying that because I had done pretty good at that. I was better than a lot of the people around me. See earlier reference to putting myself intentionally in an environment where the the average that I have to achieve beyond is not particularly high, but that's where I was. And in an environment like that, I saw myself as being the cream of the crop, right? I I, I wasn't deluded about it, delusional about it. I knew I wasn't like national level cream of the crop, but for the environment of where I was going to college at the time, yeah, I was doing pretty good. And and I understood it, and I felt smart, and I felt engaged. And it felt like the right choice to make. It felt like this is a smart choice because I won't wind up broke and middle-aged with nothing to show for it, right? The, the odds of me showing winding up that way, pursuing this kind of a career, were much lower. <sighs> And that was fear-based, right? Like I ultimately was choosing something I wasn't passionate about because I was compromising 
with the, the idea that this would provide a better future. Right? And I, I feel like this is a common compromise of middle-class people, right? And, and yeah, I, I realize I'm singing the middle-class blues, but I'm middle-class and this is my life. So yeah, um, in in a weird way, when I talk about fear-based decisions driving my life in, in directions that I eventually came to regret, I recognize that for my personal path, it sounds inane, right? Like my fear-based decisions, the, the poor decisions I made in my 20s led me to a degree in physics and a PhD in material science, right? Which was in and of itself another fear-based decision because as I got to the end of my physics degree and my undergraduate degree with, you know, a, a pursuit that I started with the idea that I could kind of find a middle ground of being able to, you know, tickle my performance uh, bug and be like a professor, right? Like standing in front of students, engaging with students, that's that's a form of performance, and, and it'd be, you know, one that I could do, right? I, I spent my undergraduate career as a uh, tutor and, and teaching labs, and, and I was good at it. <clears throat> so I entered into that with like, okay, well, I can still tickle that little, that little desire inside me and have a smart, air quotes, smart career path. And as I got to the end of that degree, I realized that to get <laughs> to get a professorship, you got to be fucking cream of the crop nationally, if not internationally. And, and I ain't that right. Like, and I was hesitant to enter into graduate school to get a PhD in physics because I ain't that. And I met with my advisor and, you know, and kind of gave him that. I don't even think I said it quite that, that straightforward, but I think he could intuit, right? And he's like, yeah, you ain't that, right? Like you're not the top of the cream of the crop you're not going to get a you know the, the, you're going to toil around and be miserable right and that's the way it felt to me and that's i could see that he saw that that was also on the horizon if i were to pursue a professorship being that i wouldn't be the top 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 percents so i switched to a different degree material science in graduate school because the possibility of getting an actual job after graduate school, after my master's program, or even a PhD were increased over just having a physics degree, or at least that's what it seemed, right? Having the word engineer at the end just felt like it opened up career opportunities more than just being a scientist. And all of this, as much as I realize that that's like something that not most people are capable of just going to do, right? I'm, I'm aware of that. People just don't get to go, just go be a scientist, right? Because I was good at it, right? My brain does work that way. <laughs> or at least it did. I don't know how well it works that way now. And so I registered, like, yeah, I mean, I was fortunate. I, 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 I had one, uh, a pretty good lottery with my brain and my, my, my cognitive abilities, my mathematical abilities, my logical thinking. I don't know what you want to call it. Right brain? Is that left brain? Whatever the side is that's supposedly more in tune with math and, and decision-making, what, whatever that nonsense. I did win the lottery with that. I was capable of just like deciding to go do this and then being able to do it and achieve it, right? Like I, I did wind up getting a Ph.D., but again, it was fear-driven. I was afraid of failure. I wasn't 
passionate about pursuing a you know something that <laughs> engaged me fully i was worried that i would look like a failure again look like a failure cuz even at that point it was more of that it wasn't it had it had transgressed from being just this vague idea that you know not achieving a bunch of good things is a failure to not achieving just looks like a failure because I had met plenty of people who were living on shoestring budgets and, and weren't making money and weren't doing, I don't know, flashy, fancy things, but they were some of the coolest, genuine people out there. But I had passed somewhere, some line had been crossed in my history and in my decisions and in, in the the overhead that I was amassing as time went on, you know, getting married, having children, getting debt, like somewhere I had passed a point where a romantic pursuit like that of following my dream could even, I mean, obviously, I guess not obviously, but I had passed a point where I was capable of doing it, but I had learned enough, matured enough to recognize that that, wouldn't be a failure so much as just looking like a failure. And I don't I don't know if I'm making a distinction there or if it's just in my head. The point is all of that living that led me to the spot, led me to the time frame where I eventually started to drink again and everything started to fall apart. You know, the, the, the life that I described in a previous episode of this podcast, you know, I won't, I won't rehash all of that again other than to say, you know, I reached a point where I was drinking because I didn't want to acknowledge the things, those decisions that I had made based on fear. And that just compounded the fear because suddenly now I had not only the fear that I was trying to avoid, you know, the acknowledgement of the fear that had already driven my decision making and gotten me to where I am now, but then I was full of fear that I was going to fall apart, that I was going to get caught drinking, caught engaging in the behavior that, you know, was understood at that point to be the biggest problem in my life, that the biggest, the biggest thing that my wife and I fought about, the thing that I knew was going to destroy my life. Like I was drinking to avoid thinking about how much I was drinking. And every minute of my life at that point was full of fear. I was terrified. I was going to fail at my job. I was terrified my wife was going to find out that I was drinking again. I was terrified that I was going to do something stupid because I couldn't stop drinking and someone was going to get hurt. I was going to get hurt. My kids were going to get hurt. Fear. Everything I was doing was driven out of fear. And coupled with that is insecurity, right? I haven't given that. I've been given insecurity short shrift in all of this because I didn't have the sense of myself, the sense of who I was as a person enough <clears throat> to trust that it would be okay to admit this was happening, right? Like, I, I don't know that I can describe this in a way that someone who hasn't personally experienced it will get or will be able to appreciate just how unnerving this sensation is, but 
everything felt like it was crumbling out from under me. And I understood that the source of this sense of crumbling, the source that the, the thing that was causing the world to feel like I was running up a big loose sand dune and every step I took just took me down a couple more inches and I would try and scramble up and I'd just slide back down a few more inches and it just felt like if I didn't keep scrambling that sand moving out from under me would just take me all the way down and I understood that what was causing that sensation to even happen was the fact that I was drinking was the fact that I was living this dual life I was pretending not to drink and I was drinking and I was drinking and I was drinking and I knew that it the reason that it felt this way was because I was behaving this way, but the only way I could deal with it was to continue behaving that way, was to continue drinking, even though I knew every time, every time I was getting drunk, it was the wrong choice and it was just making this worse. It was the only thing I could do, right? And that, that is a severe insecurity because the idea that stopping isn't going to completely disrupt everything and blow up in your face. It didn't even occur to me, right? Like, that's not accurate. It was such a remote possibility. It was like looking out on a horizon and thinking there's a glimmer of hope way, way out there. And if I just have, you know, in the middle of that, there's no way to just have faith that that's going to work, right? That, that... I am going to have the fortitude to withstand all of the crumbling that's going to occur if I reach for that little tiny glimmer of hope out there, right? Like that's, that's the sense of insecurity in that. That's the sense of fear, right? Like I was petrified at that point. By the time I was towards the end of my drinking career, you know, that's, that's the term we use to make, make it sound softer than you know, right before my life fucking imploded on me and everything went to shit. That was just the overwhelming, consistent, constant sense of fear and insecurity that I lived in, you know, and eventually, (laughs) I mean, it got to a point, you know, I, I would, I was so terrified of my life, of my person, of everything, my person, me. I was terrified of me. I didn't, I didn't want to look at myself. I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I didn't, I didn't know who I was. All I knew was I couldn't face myself. I couldn't face what I had become because (sighs) by the time it was all over, I had achieved that fucking loser right that feeling of being a fucking loser that I was terrified of the entire time in my youth right because I did hit the age of 37 and I was broke unemployed upside down in debt and I hadn't even attempted to do something that I was passionate about right like so it was like a a double kick in the balls (laughs) because I'd let my fear drive me to a spot that I, you know, I'd let my fear dictate my decision-making earlier in my life, so I didn't even pursue something that I was passionate about, and I still wound up in the same fucking spot that my fear had driven me, out, you know, that, that I had been driven towards out of fear of landing there. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that very well, but I, I'm guessing you understand what I'm saying. 
and it was it was it was bananas to register that to to register that you know here I am a 37 year old man <laughs> laying in the dark basement of my parents house watching red box DVDs of I don't know C-list produced you know, biographies of serial killers and, and shitty made for TV level movies because I'd watched anything and everything in the goddamn box and I just couldn't face anything. So I'd just spend the day watching DVDs, hiding in my parents' basement, stealing their liquor, drinking a couple of cans of beer so that I could kipe from them without them registering that I had done it. Uh, I don't know if kipe is a pejorative term that is unfriendly now I, I don't know I don't even know if it makes sense steel is the word I was looking for and it's just something some friends of mine used to say when I was a kid you know I was so so fucking lost and terrified right at that point the sense of fear just overwhelmed me I, I look back, think back on myself then, and I, I picture myself being blown over by a gust of wind because I was so full of fear and insecurity, there was nothing to me. I was just a shell of a person, like paper mache version of me that could just have a hole punched in it by just uh, just the slightest pat on the back, right? Like, I was not okay. I feel like that fear, that insecurity right there, man, that that's relatable to anybody who's found themselves drinking uncontrollably, right? At some point, it seems we all find ourselves just petrified to face the next day. Fuck, petrified to face the next minute, let alone the next day, let alone the next week, let alone the, the faces of our children who are just looking at us thinking you know what the fuck is going on right like little kids they just want food and to just be feel loved and drunk parent looking at that knowing that we don't even have the capacity to love ourselves let alone our children like we're just everything 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 is petrifying And yeah, it's uh, it's almost like something we all have to walk through, you know. Once once we've gotten past a point with our drinking, with our, with with our drug use, and it's completely out of control and completely running our lives, you know, we have to walk through that fear to come out the other side, right? Like I I I, I can. Um, with a clear conscience say I've walked through that fear and I'm on the other side of it, right? Like that fear, that fear of facing the next day, that fear of facing my kids, of facing the disapproving eyes of somebody who I've hurt. I've walked through all of that and, and it no longer dictates my life. That fear no longer dictates my life. You know, and, and I, 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 part of me registers in a, in a positive way the pride of becoming fearless in that regard, right? Like I I no longer 
am driven by that kind of fear, right? Like it still shows up. I still have a fear of confrontations, of, of walking through difficult, painful, emotionally painful, emotionally difficult uh, things in life. You know, that's still there. But I no longer am paralyzed by it. And that's something that comes from embracing recovery. You know, part of part of embracing recovery, as I say all of the time, is it enables me to live life. And this is part of life. Fears are part of life. Difficulties are part of life. And I'm no longer facing difficulties with a sense of fear underlying every decision that I make, every every choice that I, every every direction I go. You know, that is one of the gifts of recovery for sure. But it would also be incorrect, disingenuine to claim that I am entirely fearless, right? Like, I still have that same little kid insecurity inside of me. I'm still terrified of being a failure, Right. Like, I don't I don't care if I look like a failure so much anymore. At least I want to say that. Maybe if I say that a thousand times to myself, it will ring true. I don't want to be a failure. I don't want to look like a failure. And that, you know, as much as I don't I'm not happy with it, it still underlies much of my decision making, much of the things that go on in my life and the 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 ways I choose to focus my energy and my time and my efforts. And yeah, as I'm, as I'm saying that, my brain is also reminding me that I have lots of responsibilities and, and, and I'm taking care of my children and I'm trying to give them their own world of peace and comfort to the extent that I can, right? I mean, that's, a, you know, that's the selfless part of being a parent and it's it's good, you know, and, and it's also an easy way for me to avoid the other reason why I'm focused on making sure that their lives are comfortable, making sure that they have whatever uh, solid meals in their in their stomachs and the comfort of insecurity of me as a parent. Right. Like they need that shit. Every kid needs that to the extent that we can give it to them as parents, that's, that's, that's our jobs, of course. But it also enables me to live in the fear of my own failure, which is weird, right? Because it also drives my fear of failure because I'm, I don't want to fail. I don't want to fail these guys. I mean, I failed them enough when I was fucking drunk and Lord knows they're, this may seem insensitive, but their mother failed them, you know, worse than my own mother did fail me, you know? So that, that, that heaps more responsibility on me and I take it and freely accept it because that is part of the burden that I've, I've chose by becoming a parent so yeah, I have that fear of failing them in that regard, failing in my life and the, and the trickle-down effect that it'll have on them. Yeah, that that's still there. That's part of that whole burden that I put on myself in the decisions I made earlier in my life. But it also enables me to remain in fear of choosing and pursuing anything 
that is frightening for me, right? Like I still have that same desire to do other things, things that I'm passionate about. You know, I'm not passionate about my career. My career is a job, right? I envy all people who have a career that they are passionate about. That's the ideal. I don't have that. I have a career that on paper I'm fairly well suited to and the experiences that I've amassed over the years have made me valuable at it. And, and, you know, I'm actually pretty good at it if given the right parameters and, and allowed to be free to do certain things. I'm great at it. <laughs> but I'm not passionate about it. And if I wanted to do something I was passionate about, I'd have to take a risk. And I can't take a risk because I got all these responsibilities. I got all these kids to feed, these kids to lives to, to help foster into, you know, adulthood. I've got all of the debt that I amassed over the years from my fear-based decision-making, like any number of reasons now to rationalize keeping that fear at the center. And I'd like to wrap this up by saying that things, you know, I somehow have walked through that and fixed it and come up with some beautiful story of how I've <laughs> tried and succeeded or tried but failed but felt good about myself for trying. Like, none of that's going to be how this wraps up. Because right now, I'm still in it. And yeah, this podcast is an attempt to well, share my experience with people and, and hopefully reach out to others. But it's also an opportunity for me to kick myself and, uh, you know, hold myself accountable for these things that I've been doing and I have done in my life. Because I've already rationalized or realized in a rational fashion that that fear, this fear, this insecurity, this fear of failing, this fear of being a fool, this fear of being a failure, that's going to be there until I die, right? Like I, I heard someone recently on a podcast discussing the idea of, of our, our mental state dissociated from our, our physical condition. And it was an interesting concept that we don't really age in our mind, right? Our bodies age and our brains deteriorate. And so there's functional aspects of, of our thinking that start to get compromised as we get older. But in a fundamental way, our consciousness doesn't age, right? Like I am who I am and I'm going to be who I am more or less until I'm no longer capable of saying I am. Which means, you know, I'm going to keep getting older I'm going to keep having these same fears sitting there. <laughs> that sucks, right? It sucks that I haven't already walked through them and come up with a better way of coping with them than I have. But that's the honest truth is I, I, I'm still driven by that same little boy insecurity that I've had since I was a little kid. And, uh, Know, to end this on an upbeat, you know, note, it, it, it's not something that drives me to depression. It's not something that drives me to drink. You know, I've, I've been able to alter my behavior and come up with better coping mechanisms and find recovery in a way that doesn't 
cause me to fly off the rails and lose all my shit and then lose my shit and then lose all my shit like I have in the past. But, you know, it doesn't mean that it cured me of that fear and insecurity. It just means that I can handle it differently. I handle it better nominally. And for people who are sitting in the middle of that fucking sense of everything is terrifying and I can't stop drinking and I don't want to drink anymore, but it's the only thing I can think to do and I know it's the worst thing I can do and I'm still going to fucking do it. Anyone who's sitting in that still, anyone who even has a clear memory of how that feels emotionally inside of you, it it can get better. I mean, my life is, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fixating on negative stuff right now because it, it's, line of sight to this topic, but my life is wonderful. My life is so much better than it was, right? Even though I still have a lot of the same fears and a lot of the same, you know, overhead pressures, I I wouldn't trade it for the way I was before, not even for a second. I mean, that life, that, that, active fear, that act of hiding and, and just feeling so empty and insecure, that was not sustainable. There's no other way of putting it. And, and to get through all that, to get where I am today, you know, it's indescribable, right? It's something that must be experienced and my sincere hope is anyone out there who's living in that sense of active fear, that fear of facing the day of facing the next hour of facing anything and everything in your life. Like anyone who's sitting even with the vaguest sense of that, my heart goes out to you and, and there is a solution. There is a way out. There is a better life. That little glimmer of hope distant on the horizon is a real thing. It isn't a fantasy. It it can become reality. And if you want to talk to me about it, you can reach out to me and find me on Facebook. Find me on the eavesdrop podcast network. I, I am 100% willing to help, willing to talk, willing to have coffee with you. If we're in the same area, willing to just have a phone call. Cause living like that sucks. And it will kill you, right? I felt that was something I didn't really talk about here. I felt like I was going to die. I felt like I was just going to wither away because I didn't have the fucking fortitude to kill myself. So I figured I was just going to wither myself away into nothing. That's how I wanted. I wanted to just become that sand that was crumbling and just disappear. So reach out. And if you don't want to reach out to me, reach out to someone in your life that you think might be able to help you know even if it feels silly or self makes you self-conscious just do it just do it um yeah because this is you know dealing with this fucking dealing with alcoholism dealing with dealing with addiction it's fucking rough and you're, you're really really not alone i'm sure you know that but if you haven't absorbed it into your soul it's the truth you are not alone (sighs) I say it all the time you know life is hard and it's long 
but it's also short and we only get one time through so anything we can do to make that as peaceful and calm and wonderful an experience as possible we need to do so yeah reach out I, uh, I love each and every one of you and I really appreciate you listening and uh, I hope I hope there's something in this resonated with someone out there and uh, yeah have a good rest of your day Drop.